Good evening. You are listening to the Year Now podcast. We are not travelling in time, but we are a week late, apparently. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, the 8th of November. We should have been recording it last Wednesday, but uh, some of us have had uh, health problems. In fact, we've all had little health problems. Um, so, uh, and of course, joining me tonight, I've got number one sick person, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Good. So you've got COVID again. I have COVID for a second time. I am loving it just as much this time as I did the first. <laughs> right. Okay. And do you know how you got it? I think it might be from work. Okay. Not skeptics in the pub? No. No, thankfully. And as you heard, we've also got Bronwyn here. Hello. Yes. So, uh, and and you've uh you're telling telling us you're going to start coughing at any moment yeah no my husband came back from the netherlands a couple of weeks ago and he brought back a cold yeah but not COVID. lovely lovely yeah not 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 covid just you know lovely international travel and exhaustion and that got passed on to me and i've had a very crummy weekend but i'm on the mend now but yeah nice old coughing jags courtesy of a previous covid infection which is now made you know just getting a cold or so on a, a little bit worse. Right. And I'm perfectly healthy apart from the uh, pain that I've been having having in my butt and uh, leg. <laughs> uh, and uh, it got really bad last week. Um, so the pain in the butt, your butt isn't Susan? No. <laughs> yeah, we were doing some, we were trying to do some armchair diagnosing on the uh, committee chat. So what have we, what's the uh, prognosis here? Great. It does seem to be some sort of sciatica. Um, I've probably slipped a disc or something like that. Um, I've got numbness down the back of my right leg and in my toes. Uh, so it seems that there's something pinching on a nerve. Um, uh, anyway, I've been, been back to the gym and my personal trainer has, uh, done a few exercises that would have sort of helped me out, um, make me feel at least a bit a bit better and a bit more mobile. But the worst thing last week was that I was in so much pain that there was no position I could get into that I was free of pain. And so even lying in bed, <laughs> I had awful pain and I really couldn't couldn't sleep very well. So anyway, that seems to have gone has uh, subsided a bit. So I'm now back to sleeping okay, which is which is a relief. I was anyway. just a little bit upset that you turned down my offer of acupuncture needles. I've got a whole bunch of them here with me that I am still more than happy to mail out to you. Right, but I wouldn't know where to put them. I don't know how to locate my meridians. I don't think acupuncture is nowhere to put them. They just make shit up and turns out it works, whether you put them in the prescribed places or random places, or we use sham acupuncture needles that don't even pierce the skin. It all works just as well. It's all an amazing treatment. Well, if you come to the conference, you'd be able to talk to a real acupuncturist because we've got a we've got a guy who's going to talk to us about acupuncture in our uh, final session before the uh, day ends on Saturday. And um, awesome! I, I wonder what his opinions would be like about acupuncture versus, say, the shakti mat, which I guess are kind of like the fake acupuncture needles, are just really sharp pieces of plastic, kind of trying to hit the same bits. I wonder if he feels that's a a, a, comp- a competitor product. Well. We'll be able to ask him. Ooh. We've uh, got time set aside for questions. 
Well, the so, mats, they're ac- more acupressure, I guess, given that they don't puncture, but they kind of almost feel like they're a scattergun approach because even acupressure, you're supposed to use the acupuncture points, but a Shakti mat is like literally hundreds, if not thousands of small plastic spikes. So I guess you just cover all bases by trying to apply pressure to every single acupressure point on the body at the same time. I mean, the same similar to a bead of nails, isn't it? It, it's kind of like that, yeah. And they suggest you lie on it or walk on it. I've walked on one, and it's not comfortable, but maybe the discomfort is part of why you feel like it might be making you better. Oh, no, this is awful. This must be doing good for me. Hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway, should we get on with some topics? Yeah, let's do it. What topics have you got for us? Mm-hmm. Well... In a first for this podcast, Bromman's actually going to go first. And uh, <laughs> have you been partying, partying up lately? No, I haven't been partying Halloween? hard. I wish I was, but um, that sort of over uh, that sort of went over the time that my husband came back from the Netherlands with the cold. Um, so I had him answering the door for maybe the five trick or treaters that came to the house. Um, but one thing was interesting, as I was the person who was running around Lower Hut picking up the candy, uh, was seeing quite a few light parties in our region. Mm. Um, so people, if you if you didn't catch the newsletter article from a couple weekends weeks ago, I did write about my high holy holiday, which is Halloween, um, being a North American. And, you know, nothing uh, gets um, a kiwi spicier than talking about giving about giving free candy to children. <laughs> Um, but it was interesting. Um, I had I was kind of inspired by a YouTube channel called Fundy Fridays. Um, it's a really interesting channel that does look into Christian fundamentalism with a deconstruction deconstruction slant. Um, so it's following a lot of famous fundies. They've done a, a video about um, Nancy Campbell, who I wrote about a few months ago. They fought their right. Uh, she's always doing videos about the Gothards, sort of updating on that. And she did this really great video about hell houses. And I thought, huh, you know, we don't really do the Hell House here in New Zealand. I think there was a pastor down in Rotorua who was doing it for a little bit. Less about celebrating Halloween, but more about, you know, scaring people straight. Do you want to describe what a Hell House is quickly? Yes. Um, Basically, a Hell House, it can take a couple different forms, but the most common one is um, maybe several rooms where people are dressed up and they're acting out these little morality plays, I guess you could say. So, but they're very, very contemporary and very much the boogeyman of evangelical fundamentalist Christians. So you'll have a room where someone's like, I'm gay. And then they die a horrible death and they end up in hell. Or, yeah. you know, and there was some big, there was, yeah. Um, what can I say? Like some, some contemporary topics like school shootings. Um, you can find lots of videos, um, both news stories and walkthroughs of these places on YouTube. Um, the most famous documentary, though, is a documentary called Hell House, which actually predates a more well-known documentary, which is Jesus Camp, by about five years. The Hell House documentary, I absolutely recommend it. It is, it makes me feel so old because I remember watching that when it first came out as a uh, high schooler, um, university student. But anyways, it sort of looks at this very famous hell house that was going on for already 10 years at that point in Texas. Um, And they garnered a lot of controversy for having one of their rooms being about the school shooting because it was just sort of on the heels of Columbine that they were doing that. Um, And they go into some very, very uh, trigger warning topics like incest, um, Mm. rape, being roofied. But the problem with this hell house, particular hell house, is that you know, if you have, it's often if they're having women, the women are being brutalized, victimized, and it's sort of their fault 
You know, it's their, your fault you got raped. It's your fault that you got roofied because you went to a rave. Um, stories like that. Um, as best as anyone can tell, a lot of those hell houses sort of didn't weren't, aren't in operation anymore. But there are still a couple of companies that are operating. But a very interesting fact was that Jerry Falwell probably kicked off the whole phenomenon of these uh, moralistic hell houses with his scare mare maze um, back in the 1970s. And it's now, I think it's part of Liberty University that Fowell's part of. And yeah, those students can actually, by working in the Hell House or working in their scare mare maze, I should say, um, they can get credit, community community credit points, because at the end, it's, you know, you still have to do a little bit of uh, proselytizing, sharing the gospel. Um, but all reports say that scare mare is actually a little bit more of a traditional Halloween haunted house. So less Christian-y, I guess, um, less moralizing during the scary parts than um, other other churches. It sounds uh, a bit like a chick tract in real life. Exactly. It is. It, it very much is. I think some of the churches will take a lot of their um, inspiration from these, from the chick tracks. Sorry, there was a recent Kirk Cameron movie that did a similar thing. You were talking about gay people dying. I remember watching a Kirk Cameron movie where part of the plot was, I think, gay people who were about to step into a lift. And I think uh, the the lead character who's Christian, he tries proselytizing to them about them being gay, which I think causes them to not step into the lift. And the next thing is the cable breaks and the uh, the lift goes down the shaft. And it was like, look, if he didn't try to save them, they would have died and they were gay. So maybe trying to convert people straight is a good thing to do because you're saving their lives. And it was it was such a ridiculous point that made no sense and was so painful. It's interesting that you mentioned about Kirk Cameron, because uh, one of the sort of subsets of a haunted house that have become popular are called Tribulation Trails. And again, this is the first time I heard about it through the Fundy Fridays channel. And basically, um, you get to see what an industry the tribulation is, um, the end of times is, because this is a whole sort of May slash interactive theater. So it's a whole interactive theater of the end times you know all of a sudden you get you see these videos or you have all these people acting out wait a minute there's no one in this car what's happening and at the end of this journey you people get saved or they give their life to jesus join the church of course because we don't really do this in new zealand it's like how do i bulk up this article so i decided to look at you know light parties and then found out that we kind of do something called truck or treat which well i shouldn't say we as a whole country do it it's starting to gain popularity as halloween is starting to gain popularity in this country so i guess the most interesting thing is the light party because there's actually potentially a new zealand connection to this so connecting this back to hell houses when you see hell houses it's sort of an understanding that okay people want to see a scary thing on halloween let's give them let's scare them straight you know let's scare them back to jesus Whereas the light party is sort of an antithesis of that. It's, you know, oh, we don't really like to see all this horrible imagery. You know, we don't really like the darkness of Halloween. Let's give the kids something bright and light to do during the daytime hours. And it's so much more in line with our seasons. And also, if you dress kids like the devil, they will act like the devil. Not understanding that maybe uh, Satan is, you know, was the morning star angel. Yeah, so what these light parties are, potentially the story goes, and the earliest mention of it I've been able to find has to do, it started in about 2000 in Auckland by a mother and children's worker named Wendy Reed. Again, she was just frustrated by all the dark and the negative side of Halloween. So she started developing these light parties, started small with her friends, like with her own children, then with her friend's children. Then she got some support from her local church. And then it sort of became this, I think they were trying to maybe uh, franchise it, 
there seems to have been like it was a business at one point, but now that business is shut down. All the resources are available free for people to use. They just need to go and say, hey, we're doing a light party and they'll get some promotion on the light party website. But at this point, it appears that a lot of people have just sort of taken on light party as a name for just a catch all for a anti-Halloween party. So what that means is like, you know, I've often seen equippers, they do their own light party or they'll do a, a color party. And, you know, it's sort of a, no, no scary costumes are allowed. You go and you get some gospel tracks or you play some Bible games, you get candy. If, if they're really bougie, like the um, saints and angels party that was held by Knox church in lower hut, then you're getting like some really good, you know, you may be getting some rides that you might be getting some really good treats and some really good um, food trucks. But the idea Big is, think, yeah. It's um, kind of getting commercialized a little bit. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. But, but again, you know, it's sort of, it's. I, I think really the light party is a bit more of that pushback of this Americanization of, the, you know, a lot of people don't like that that, that Halloween exists. And I will counter that I have seen Kiwi celebrate Guy Fox, Easter, and Christmas with a fervor I have never seen before. No, <laughs> as we speak, what are we, November the 8th, you said, Craig? I can hear fireworks going off in the background right now. I mean, this is celebrating something that happened hundreds of years ago, halfway around the world, three days late. Yeah, Kiwis yeah. love an excuse to uh, to do something like that. It's weird. Mm. Yeah, it's very really weird, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, you know, it's sort of a way that, you know, you, you, you know, and at, at the same time in some of the neighborhoods, you know, maybe the neighborhoods aren't safe. You don't know the neighbors. And of course, if you don't really have a full on adoption of the Halloween holiday, you know, you just got kids knocking on doors and not understanding, you know, don't have you don't have a cultural understanding of the similar of the same social cues that you would have in North America. So where I'm from, Newfoundland, it's dark. It's dark very, very early. So it's an understood thing that if the porch light is on, you can go trick or treat there. If the porch light is off, you don't touch that house. Over here, it's starting to get to the point where people are really kind of decorating the front of their houses with Halloween yeah. stuff. This and that's year was the invite, but I'm only th- seeing that recently. Yeah, it's been impressive. Like this year, felt like it was a big year that where warehouse got into it and had inflatable toys, which is a bit extent, like inflatable decorations, which actually is pretty impressive from my point of view. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, that. I am. I am lying here in bed next to a full-size skeleton um, <laughs> because my my wife is like sleeping at the other end of the house so she doesn't catch COVID. And yeah, my my family bought it for me for my birthday recently because in the warehouse these things are ridiculously cheap these days. Yeah, I, I always loved the um, a couple of years ago there was a bit of a meme about all the animal skeletons and how anatomically incorrect they were, like bones where there wouldn't be bones. <laughs> I guess it's whatever could be manufactured easily and look scary, probably, rather than what happens to be biological. Yeah, and also the generic costumes, you know, it's like, oh, you're trying to be Wednesday Adams, but you can't say this is a Wednesday Adam costumes. You can just say it's a creepy <laughs> girl costume. Right. And yeah, so I mean, I kind of get it. Like if some t- neighborhoods aren't safe, if you don't know who your neighbors are, then something like a light party would sort of, you know, tick a couple of boxes for some families. I feel a little bit <laughs> subversive to me, like... I know with at least one of my daughters, they've been approached by their friends at school, inviting them to a light party on October the 31st as an alternative. It feels like it's not just the Christians are trying to offer their Christian children an alternative. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're trying to get all children to turn up to the alternative and try to basically subvert Halloween and take it away from everybody. Absolutely. And when you look at the original light party website, 
um they you know they have tracks they have you know they're they print off like the lightsaber the um, lifesaver track and a couple other tracks that you can give to whoever attends so this is the christian war on halloween is it well it's kind of a, in a you can say it's a war on halloween but it's also kind of a white flag um you do have pastors out there saying we should they shouldn't even be doing shouldn't be acknowledging halloween as a celebration like that you shouldn't even be doing light parties because you are sort of giving power to that if you're trying to do something against halloween you're giving halloween more power you know she just let the 31st just pass by without acknowledgement right and the uh. tracks are another interesting one i mean my my daughters have come back from trick-or-treating one year where at one particular house they were given um turns out they were ray comfort tracks like chick tracks but maybe even worse lamer instead of giving them candy and they were incensed but on the on the one hand that it was like they were upset that they didn't get candy on the other hand they were like our dad's going to love seeing this. This is going to drive him crazy. This is going to be brilliant. So they brought it straight home to me to show me these things. It was great. I think I remember, was it, was it in New Zealand or was it back in Canada? There was a year that someone was giving out um, those little fetus babies, you know, for the anti-abortion. Oh. <laughs> there's oh. always a story of that happening. But now there's, there is sort of a midway alternative between the light party and, you know, the hell house. And it's called the trunk or treat. It's very American in its own way because tailgate parties are a thing. So for people who don't know what a tailgate party is, basically during the before, after a concert or a sports match, you have all these people who gather in the parking lot of the stadium and they'll have little barbecues and they'll have some beers and there'll be food. And it's just a little get together with all your mates before you go in and watch a good game. So trunk or treats are sort of a variation of that. And mostly you have schools or like scouts, like scout organizations, like charitable organizations, and also churches um, that will get together. Everyone will decorate the back of their trunk, like the back of their car. And then the kids will go around to all these different trunks. There could be games, there will be candy. And, you know, you're kind of in and out within a couple hours. So again, it's sort of a, it's a reasonable alternative for people who want sort of a safer trick-or-treating experience for their children. Um, It also seems that, with trunk or treats, when churches have tried to subvert Halloween or try to make, you know, do come to our trunk or treat instead of Halloween, they get less people. People still want to do, people tend to use the trunk or treats as a bit of a, a dress rehearsal for their costumes. So they go to the trunk or treat, will this costume work for my kid? And then they'll do the proper trick or treating later on. Trunk-or-treats, are they a Christian thing again then? They're, I mean, in, a in, little. I think, in which I think, case, why? I think, again, I think it's a whole, like, okay, let's do this. It's a church activity. Let's get all the cars together. Like, you know, let's have all this trick-or-treating candy opportunity for kids. and But you still do all the activities of the light party. Right. I mean, in a way, but, it seems kind of good for kids. You know, the fact that they can get so much chocolate and, and other stuff in such a short time, hmm. that must be amazing for children, that they're not yeah. creeping up and down streets. Yeah, and it's and because it's a trunk or treat, um, again, because it's America versus, say, New Zealand, there's a little bit more acceptable, like more permissibility about the costumes. And I've seen lots of trunk or treat pictures from churches, and they're not telling kids don't dress scary, don't dress as a superhero, don't dress as something of the culture. You know, these are kids who are, you know, particularly maybe sort of closer to the Mexican border. You've seen a lot more of those Dio de los Muertos costumes. Um, people are dressing up like they are dressing up like witches and going to the church trunk or treat, <laughs> um, which is funny. But, yeah, there seems to be a little bit, you know, a little bit more lax attitude towards it than, say, in New Zealand, where, where we are a little bit more prim and proper. We're more Puritan. 
so to speak. I, so I just remember actually when when one of my daughters was invited to a light party at a church I did go one year I I took I think it was my eldest daughter at the time and it was it wasn't even that exciting it was just basically a disco with pretty awful music where they handed out um free glow sticks and you know the glow sticks in the bands that you can basically wear around your wrists and around your neck so that was basically there wasn't much more than that going on i think maybe some free candy as well yeah that's sort of i think the quippers church that had did something like that this year like a bit of a disco which is kind of funny because if you're having a bit of a disco and lights are down low is that still not dark <laughs> It's not very light, but that's just uh, splitting hairs. Yes. Well, there was a big, big uh, uh, celebration around my area. Lots of kids dressed up in uh, in Halloween costumes, and there was a uh, big sort of community-organized event in the park. But around this way, you, I think you have to have a special sign on your door. Uh, otherwise, they'll leave you alone. Um, they'll just walk on by. So oh, if you okay. haven't prepared and, and purchased uh uh, candy to give out, then um, then then they'll just walk on by and uh, won't be bothered. I guess one thing that never really happens in New Zealand is the whole American idea of trick or treat. That if you don't get a treat, you get a trick. <laughs> we don't do that. Like there is no like yeah, we don't do that. It's just you get you always get a treat. You never yeah. never no one ever tricks. Mm. <laughs> Maybe only in the movies. Pretty much. It's like, you know, you got some teenagers who are bored who will do some, you know, toilet papering or maybe some eggs. But even then, that's really movies. I've never, ever seen that happen. Mm. It's always treat. It's always treats. Even if it's someone does a trick, you know, makes it says trick, you do a little, you know, they'll still give yeah. you a treat. You know, you right. always win. The kids always win. <laughs> Very good. Well, Mark, you're going to tell us about your interactions with your sisters. Uh, yes, yes. My uh, sisters with a capital S, um, oh, which right. is really nice because I, I grew up with three brothers and it's really nice that I now appear to have an infinite supply of sisters. And these are Mormon missionary sisters. Um, I, I've written an article about it for the newsletter a couple of weeks ago, but uh, yeah, I mean, the story just keeps unfolding. So it, it started a few years ago, um, beginning of the pandemic. Um, I ended up with a couple of uh, Mormon, I don't know whether they're brothers the other side, but I ended up with a couple of young Mormon males who um, just knocked at my door randomly. Elder Leaf, and I can't yeah. remember who the other guy was called. But I, as, as elders, aren't they? Uh, I guess, yes, it is elders, isn't it? Yeah, elders mm. and sisters. Well, that doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, why are the men elders and the, the women are just sisters? That well, seems it's, it's, it's weird that the elders are so young. <laughs> but yeah so I, I invited them in and um being the beginning of the pandemic you know asking where they were from the answer was i think hamilton and somewhere else i mean this is not people traveling from far flung, pla flung places during a pandemic it it's all been pretty local for a while um and I, they came in for an hour we had a really good chat one of them sent me a facebook friend request afterwards which i took as a positive sign um they tried to get me to believe i tried to poke holes in um some of the things that they believe in and some of the maybe more bigoted attitudes that the church pushes on its members and i thought nothing more of it but the weird thing that happened maybe six months later was that I got a phone call from 
a couple of Mormon sisters who just out of the blue. And what I figured out was that there is a mobile phone that they use that they keep passing on from one group to another. So when these bro- when these elders had finished what they were doing, then a couple of Mormon sisters got the phone and the phone appears to have come with my contact details. And once again, I was like, yes, I'd love to have you round. So they came round and we chatted and it was a while later that I got another phone call from another couple of Mormon sisters. This was maybe the beginning of this year. And those sisters seemed a little bit more disorganized and they never managed to visit. They were always busy doing something else and canceling last minute. And that wasn't a problem. But then a few weeks later, I got another couple of Mormon sisters phoning um, and they popped around um, a few weekends ago. And they were both from America and it was really nice to meet them. It's I'm sure nice for them that they get to travel internationally again now. And I, I think, you know, I think. I don't know, something I brought up in one of the conversations I've had with them is that because they do find this very hard to do, this mission going going somewhere to do the proselytizing, apparently it is very tough. It's seen as a test. And I suggested to them recently that maybe sending people halfway around the world is a good way of making sure it's hard to quit. That if you're if you're down the road or a few hours drive away, I can imagine there being a temptation to phone up your parents and say, "This isn't me. Come and pick me up." But if you're from the states and you're in New Zealand, it's your parents aren't going to drive and pick you up. Your parents probably aren't even going to be able to fork out for a plane ticket to get you back. But yeah, so basically, what happened was they came around a few weeks ago, and I, I had a good conversation. Um, it was about two hours. And then at the end of it, I said, look, if you want to come around again, you are more than welcome. <clears throat> to which the response was, oh, yes. Well, how about next weekend? And it was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, they were really interested in coming back again. So the next weekend didn't work out. <clears throat> but last weekend, they did come around. So they came around again. Already there's a new sister. Um, and the new sister now is from the Philippines. And so I had one of the sisters from before and the new sister from the Philippines. This one was nearly a three hour long conversation. And it's kind of weird because I guess I know enough about the religion that talking to me probably feels more like talking to someone in the church than talking to what I am, which is an atheist outsider. Um, so, you know, I, I can ask questions that are kind of insightful, that show I have a knowledge of the church. We don't know whether that disarms them or whether they're just happy to be honest with everybody. But I get to hear a lot about the struggles that they have doing the mission. I get to hear a lot about the struggles they've had at places like Brigham Young University, seeing people fall away from the religion, seeing kind of some of the strictness. Um, I also have the opportunity to challenge them, as I said earlier. So asking questions like about, you know, as women in the church surely it's a little bit disconcerting to you that you are instantly disqualified from positions of leadership i mean you're you're trusting an old white man who's telling you that basically only old white men can really be at the top uh, recently they've officially allowed non-white men to be in positions of leadership but even so i think the prophet the guy at the top has only ever been an old white man and i can imagine this is going to continue forever but you know to i guess give your life to a church where they're basically saying we see you as second class citizens especially in the modern age i mean it it seems 
it seems like they're definitely putting themselves in a place of subservience. And I get the feeling that not all women, especially women who are willing to go out and do a mission like this, they're probably not all meek and mild wallflowers. I imagine some of these are very proactive, able women. Um, and then they're just being treated like this, like, you know, you will never be able to make decisions. You always have to follow the rules. And it seems like in most of what they do in the church, they are, you know, they are the also rands. They are the people who follow and don't lead. I'm kind of so, curious because there is a difference in the length of mission between the male and females. Um, men can do a mission for about two to three years in length and women can only do a year and a half. Yeah, I think they said for the women it was 18 to 24 months, so a year and a half to two, two. years. Mm -hmm. And then I guess for the men, it's two years to three years. But yes, it's what, it's what standard was, that the women are longer. But what was the, did they give a rationale as to why? I haven't asked that one, actually. Um, I mean, I think it's because men are seen as stronger and, and whatever else, but I haven't asked. One I did ask that I was fascinated by was the the hot drinks thing right so um for anybody that's in the know there is a a rule in mormonism not that they like to be called mormons we might get to that later but there's a rule that you don't drink hot drinks but what's read by this is not that it's a hot it's not the heat of the drink that's the problem the idea is because this is all about temperance it's about caffeine as a stimulant so as far as mormons are concerned this means no coffee no tea, but hot chocolate is okay. Um, so I had a couple of questions. The first one of which was, well, what about decaffeinated coffee? And they were like, oh, we'd never even thought of that. I suppose we could do, but it would feel a bit weird. Um, and I, I totally get that because as a vegetarian, the idea of fake meat, I like it. But the closer it gets to real meat, the weirder it becomes and the more it feels like I'm doing something wrong. So I, I get how they uh, they get that one. But then I talked about how, you know, I, I said, well, it's sad for you that something like Diet Coke is out because that's got caffeine in. And they said, no, Diet Coke is fine. <laughs> I was like, here you have you figured out the spirit of the law. You figured out the reasoning for the no hot drinks is about the stimulant. But somehow you seem to be reading it in a way that a hot drink without caffeine is okay and a cold drink with caffeine is okay. So you're kind of you're taking this rule both ways. This feels a little bit legalistic and weird rather than rather than trying to understand what God actually wants, you're just trying to figure out how to get the best for yourself. <laughs> yeah, so that that I'm still scratching my head about. Um, but yet decaffeinated coffee, they seem to be a little bit freaked out by the idea of. Yeah, it's all very weird, isn't it? So, uh, is, is this is this is something in the Book of Mormon that, um, because I'm not, I'm not clear about how the Book of Mormon relates to the Bible. Are there, no, are there... so it's not it's not in the Book of Mormon. It is in I think Joseph Smith's or maybe Brigham Young's writings outside of the Book of Mormon, but it is part of what sets up the rules for Mormons. Hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, okay, so the book the Book of Mormon is weird, right? So you understand where it came from that Joseph Smith uh, Moroni and golden tablets and a hat with seer stones and nobody else is allowed to see the tablets. The tablets weren't even in the hat that was being used for translating. Joseph Smith stuck his head in a hat with two stones in it and had someone else transcribe the words that he said were translated, right? And the story was about um, I think 
people from Israel who traveled to America 2,400 years ago and populated it, and then the visit of Jesus to America at one point. But the number of historical inconsistencies, obviously, given that this is all made up by a known shyster in America, um, the inconsistencies are huge. There are so many of them. I mean, the seer stone thing, apparently he was doing before he was using seer stones to translate the new books that God gave him. He was using them to travel around his local area and rip off people who own property. He would say, I can use my magical seer stones to help you find buried treasure hidden on your property. If you pay me money, I can give you a location to go and dig. Um, and he wasn't the only con man doing this at the time. This was a common con 150, 200 years ago in America. Uh, he just went on to kind of convert it into suddenly a like a biblical thing and made himself a following. Uh, but yeah, it, it was just a grift. It was a grift that people were doing. Things never change, do they? There's still plenty of grifters no. around. I know. And no matter how modern a religion is, people still fall for the grift. They still go, oh, no. Like I, I was saying to them that look at the Eastern Lightning Church. I mean, you know, your church is modern and kind of gets ridiculed for being modern and people still being sucked in by it. Mm -hmm. But Eastern Lightning only started in the early 90s, and people think that Jesus came back as a Chinese woman. I mean, you know, nobody's asking questions. Nobody's saying, show me the woman. Let let me see her. She's hidden from everybody, and yet millions of people are trusting it. Now, Just Mark, so weird. Now, Mark, in your article, you sort of made a, a note that your visitors were looking very fondly at a particular image of one of the uh, prophets, the current prophets of the Mormon Church. And that reminded me, um, when we went to Hamilton, Last year was it this year? Last year, last year, to uh, see the launch, uh, to see the uh, well, the pre-opening of the uh, refurbished temple. It's quite curious because uh, one of the things I purchased was some youth like magazines meant for teens, and it had all like sort of the current Mormon leadership being treated like a boy band in a sense. Yeah, like, this oh, is what gosh. this is what the hip this is what the hip Mormon teens want to know. They want to have an interview with the church leaders in their. The they had the bios, didn't they, of the, I think they're the apostles, below the prophet are the apostles, and they are almost exclusively old white men. There's a few mm. old black men in there. But yeah, the fact that they had these, you know, the little picture of them and the bio next to it in that, in that, yeah, teen magazine way that made them out to be these people to be venerated. I mean, it's just, it's so weird. And yeah, the, the look in this woman's eye. So this was... um this was the Mormon sister from a few years ago that she had this very special to her laminated photograph of Russell Nelson, the current prophet. And when she took it out of a bag, you could kind of see the love in her eyes as she was showing this to me. And to me, it just came across as creepy. It's like, here I have a young Maori woman who has nothing but love for this old white man who's telling her to basically obey everything that he says and that, you know, sex before marriage is immoral and drinking hot drinks is immoral and dressing immodestly is immoral. And like he's basically ruling her life from afar and she should just kind of find her own life and find her own path and not be sucked in by this sad looking old man. It's yeah. just horrible. Well, that's, that's, that's there's a Chinese indoctrination, there's a, isn't it? Yeah, there's a Chinese woman that she can choose instead. Yeah, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like, we, we had this great three-hour conversation last weekend, and 
I got a text today saying, can we come around again this Saturday? Uh, which they can't, sadly, because I now have COVID. So we're going to delay for a week, but they are keen to come back. And apparently there are more church members that they're hoping to bring around to my house for like the third visit in a month. It's like I'm a Mormon tourist attraction. So, so what are you going to serve them? Like, are you going to start looking up Mormon recipes so they start feeling more at home, like from Utah? I don't know. I mean, that, like I drink Diet Coke, so now... Now that I know that they also drink Diet Coke, I can start offering that. I've just been offering water because I was like, well, pretty much everything's off the menu here. Um, but yeah, now I'm going to start offering Diet Coke because apparently that's fine, despite the fact it's got caffeine in it. Maybe mm. monster energy drinks or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's stay away from those. Um, so do you think you've got any converts to uh, the Temple of Atheism? I don't. I mean, I no, I have no pretensions that I'm converting any of them. If If I can do anything... I think those seeds of doubt, and not doubt as in, you know, I, I just want them to blindly doubt the same way that they blindly believe. It's it's the idea of getting them to start questioning. That That's what I want to do. I want to start, like, poking little holes and giving them opportunities. And one of the big things I always try to get, get across to these missionaries is that it doesn't matter how many creepy old white men tell you that once you've made a commitment, you're stuck and that this is you for life. You always have the ability to change your mind. You always have the right to pick and choose. And it's not for anybody else to tell you that you're stuck. Um, because I think a lot of the time religion does that. You know, it tries to tell you this is your lifelong commitment. Once you make it, this is something you must never break. And and that's not the case. If you want to change, like nobody is going to disrespect you that matters if you decide to change your mind. Um, but it, it's a hard thing, right? I mean, we've talked about it before, that when you leave a church, if you've made that church your everything, your entire life, basically you are going to get rejected by a lot of people in the church. And the Mormon church is no different to Jehovah's Witnesses and Scientology and others in that they will pretty much just ignore you. They, they will see you as a risk, a bad influence, that congregation members have to stay away from. So I think it's less formal in the Mormon church, but my understanding is that the same thing will happen, which is that you will be shunned or whatever they might call it. You you will find that, you know, now a lot of people are told that they can't communicate with you anymore. Mm. But particularly when that sort of faith is a, is a family thing, you will yes. certainly be uh, disappointing your parents if they are, devoutly religious and you decide to that uh you you don't want to be any part of it yeah and, and that, I mean, that can you know that that could be real things like not being able to see nieces and nephews being written out of wills there are real life implications to these things which religious people seem to think it's okay to use this as a threat in order to keep people in the religion um and oh, it just seems cruel it seems really cruel and not a loving thing to do but I mean, you look at Christianity, right? It's it's a whole history of people doing mean things and acting like it makes them godly. Well, so, now, my, my, my question, Craig, then, or maybe, Mark, you can answer, what would a drink like a Ripa be? Would they be able to drink with the sisters people to drink uh, our favorite <laughs> new tropic beverage of New Zealand? Wow, this is this is a, this is a new trend with uh, Bronwyn doing the segues. Oh, my God, Bronwyn, that was perfect. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's a non-graphene stimulant. Would a reaper be okay? Well, I mean, I guess we all know, Craig, don't we, that, you know, it, it is a stimulant that works really well and helps our brains work better, right? 
Well, do we know that? I'm not sure that we do. I think it's <laughs> very. I can... I, I, having had a Reaper, I I had it because I'm just like, oh, you tried it, it? Have you? Okay. not for its brain boosting abilities. It's because I came out from a really heavy swim session. And I'm like, this is on. I'll give it a try because I think one of the original plans from last year's conference is that we were going to have a bunch of bogus, well, drinks with bogus claims. So we were going to do have a little bit of cacao. Make everyone suffer through a cacao ceremony and then potentially have a Reaper. And if we could get our hands on it, a Kangen water filter. Mm. Uh, but then we looked at the complexity and the price of a Reaper is ridiculous. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. we could we could easily just get a bottle of a Reaper and like put everything into thimble cups. It was more so the Kangen water filter that was the uh, budget buster. Maybe we could do a homeopathic Reaper. <laughs> that would save us some money. I, I mean, but, but, wait, wait, but isn't a Reaper essentially, oh, well, I guess it's not homeopathic. It's a. No, no. So anyway, we better we better talk more formally about who they are. So they're a, a Kiwi company. They've been around for about 10 years. Um, Aripa apparently is a Maori word which translates to Omega, which sort of means the beginning of things. And so they've been in the news recently because the um, Ministry of Primary Industries um, wrote a letter to them saying that uh, they have to take their – health claims off their beverage packaging, uh, that they're not allowed to make the, the claims they're making. So uh, Arepa is a, is a brand. It seems like a, a premium brand. If you go to their website, it uh, looks looks very upmarket. Uh, their website is drinkarepa.com. That's A-R-E-P-A. Uh, and so it's very, very much about the marketing of things. So they have this drink that you can buy for two hundred and fifty for a two hundred fifty milliliter can. It's going to set you back six dollars. Now that's a that's a pretty expensive uh, can of drink. Although you can get it uh, in bulk, you can even have a subscription plan where they deliver it to you um, regularly. So um, that would seem to be a, a good way for them to to make money out of the product to get somebody hooked up uh, as as a subscriber. What's actually in this drink? Well, it seems to be a combination of three things. There seems to be a lot of vitamin C in the drink, which comes from um, black currants that they call neuroberries. And the neuroberry is kind of a registered trademark uh, version of a black currant that contains a high amount of vitamin C. So they're, they're saying that the vitamin C content in the in the neuroberry is is very high, and that's what uh, is used. So the, the the main claim of this drink is it's called the brain drink. It's meant to somehow boost the performance of your brain um, by by having this drink every day. Um, so in addition to the vitamin C, it's also got two other ingredients, uh, which one is a pine bark extract. Yeah, so it has um, black currant juice, black currant extract, uh, extract, and uh, this pine bark extract, which they call enzogenol. So, so no also, neuroberry extract. Yeah, well, no, no. There's a neuroberry black currant extract and the juice of the neuroberry, um, and it also has this pine bark extract, which is called enzogenol, and it also has uh, L-theanine. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty com- L-theanine is a pretty common um, energy drink, right? Ingredient, okay. From what I can call. So, but how much sugar in it? Like, you know, no, how many grams so, of sugar? <laughs> right, right. So, well, the, it's not completely sugar-free, but 
if you look at the actual ingredients, there is a small amount of sugar. But this isn't your classic energy drink, which has a ton of caffeine and sugar in it. Um, so your your V's or your Red Bulls or your Monsters or whatever the popular one of the day is, they are all basically just caffeine and sugar, which sort of hypes up your brain, makes you feel awake, and maybe gives you a sort of a, a boost in performance until until you have this crash and, and you go back to to how you were before. Um, so the, the main claim that the, the Ministry of Primary Industries are making is that they're not making it clear on their labelling that, in fact, the main benefit that people are probably getting out of these drinks is the vitamin C and not these other elements that are in the in the drink. Um, so it does seem that vitamin C is quite vital to uh, having good brain performance. Um, there's been numerous studies on that. Um, but of course, you can get vitamin C from from other other ways. You can eat lots of fruits and vegetables which have vitamin C in it. Uh, or if you really want to take a supplement, you can buy su- uh, supplement pills of vitamin C for like 20 bucks for 200 capsules or something. Um, when you say so- lots of fruit and vegetables, I mean, I think, I think all you need for enough vitamin C in your diet is a balanced healthy diet right all you need is to eat a range of foods every week you don't need to be overdosing on fruits and vegetables as long as you're eating kind of healthily and you're not just eating chips every day you're gonna be fine you're gonna get enough vitamin c and i can imagine these if if we're talking about any kind of use for the brain this is probably compared to someone who is vitamin c deficient if you're Mm -hmm. deficient you're going to start having problems so if you're deficient and you start taking vitamin c you're going to see an improvement but if you've already got enough in your diet throwing extra vitamin c at yourself is not going to make your brain work at 120 percent or anything no it's it's only going to get you back up to your what your potential is. And I guess I'm kind of curious about where who is buying Arepa who, you know, not like who is buying into these claims? Uh, are they the sort of people who are already buying lots of healthcare supplements so your diet you have a diet that's not necessarily that's always not necessarily all food, it's a lot of supplements and a lot no, of processed I, I think like it's processed- I think it's probably aimed at um sort of young professional types who yeah, want like- to have an edge over their peers. I think everybody's buying it. From what I can tell, it's in shops all over the place. I keep seeing it in the fridge at work and trying to find out who the hell is buying it so I can shame them into stopping. Um, It's a very popular thing. And I've talked to at least a couple of people at work who have admitted that they're buying it. And I've explained to them that actually the company is lying to them and that this is not doing them any favors. And especially given how expensive it is, um, they'd be better off basically drinking water. Yeah, so it, it's it's not just for health freaks. I think everyday people are seeing it as, oh, this is a healthy alternative that's going to help me get through the day at work. Yeah, yeah. So interesting that you mentioned chips before, because in fact, one of the vegetables that contains vitamin C is potatoes. <laughs> oh, so you could be okay. So I did a bit of reading about uh, vitamin C levels, and of course, if you don't have enough vitamin C, then you are at risk of getting scurvy. But 
Yeah, but most people get enough vitamin C in their diet that they aren't at risk of having scurvy. The question, I guess, is what what is the optimum level of vitamin C? And that's very much an open question. Um, if you look on the uh, Ministry of Health website, you'll find in New Zealand that the recommended daily intake of vitamin C is 45 milligrams. You can get that easily by um, eating a few fruits and veggies every day. Um, but some of the sites that I've seen are saying that, well, that's kind of like a minimum. You would be better to try and get more than that. And that's where it's come, sounds a bit like snake oil and that uh, you're not really sure exactly how much you're, you're meant to eat. But yeah, coming back to the, the site, this, the site is kind of, it, it feels very much like a pseudoscience site. It has lots of claims on it that talk about supports your immune system and supports heart health and all that sort of stuff. But the really funny thing that I found out when I was looking at the site is they have a page called um, Our Science. And if you go there, uh, you can click through to some some stories. And one of the ones I found was they had written a, it was a page uh, that was written back in August um, that says, our latest clinical trial is sparking brains in the New Zealand Herald. And it reads, our latest clinical trial conducted in, col- in collaboration with the University of Auckland has garnered the nod of approval from the New Zealand Herald. And I thought that was quite amusing that uh, they're, they're crowing about the New Zealand Herald. The Obviously, the scientific experts of the New Zealand Herald are giving them the nod of approval for the study that they ran. <laughs> Until they will rip them down again by um by publishing an article about how um the MPI has been after them. Yeah. yeah. So I've I I in my file I have of articles I've not written yet, there is one article title with a little bit underneath that is a Reaper. I, I have been planning to write about that from ages. There is legal risk, though. I think with a company like Reaper, where they're making a lot of money, they can afford good lawyers. But I've had two main things under this title that I wanted to cover. And I'm interested if you've d- uh, looked at much about these two, Craig. The first one is on their science page, you look at our research partners. They've got a bunch of universities. And historically, for years now, they have been throwing a lot about their connection to the University of Auckland and how the University of Auckland has proven all their claims. And look, we're backed by the University of Auckland. And right. from what I can tell, this is just as bad as countless other buried drinks that seem to be in this country that claim that some sports physiotherapy department of a university has tested on 30 people and proven that this is correct. Have you looked into that part of it? Uh, and well, also, it's like, is this similar to Sleep Drops making similar claims about their university? connections so who well, who what ha, what is Auckland what's happening at Auckland University today yeah so so I went through and I read the Herald article that they're referring to and what it actually talks about is a study that was done at Auckland University's Department of Nutrition and the study was published in the European Journal of Applied Physiology and what they're saying in the in the New Zealand Herald article um, it says uh, the study found consuming a reaper daily for a seven-day period prior to undertaking high-stress exercise and poor quality air reduced some of the detrimental effects of the pollution. And what they say in here is that using competitive-level le- Kiwi cyclists, those who took a reaper were on average able to shave 20 seconds off a four-kilometer sprint versus those who took the placebo. So if you take that at face value, it sounds like uh, consuming the Arepa 
um, gave the cyclists a huge performance benefit. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I actually went and found the study um, published in the uh, the Springer Journal, and I actually read it. And right in the abstract, it says, uh, in the results section, it says um, there was a small, non-significant difference uh, with a p-value of 0.09, in a four-kilometer performance in the Arepa um, compared to the placebo, and the average times of the people who took the Arepa um, were uh, 406.43 seconds plus or minus 50 seconds versus 426 seconds plus or minus 75 seconds. Oh, Jesus. So what they've done is they've just taken the averages and they've subtracted them, and there's that 20-second difference. But the study says that it wasn't a significant difference. So the Herald has gone and said... 50 seconds and 70 seconds, which is bigger than their effect size. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, sorry, I swore that, but that that is brazen to do that. That is horrific. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so in the conclusion, it says um, supplementation may provide small benefits to performance and reduce cough symptoms during high intensity exercise. So there were some significant differences. What they did was they measured the oxygen consumption when the people that had taken the Arepa versus the people who took the placebo, and the Arepa people were managing to consume more oxygen, um, and that was a significant difference. The p-value was 0.01. So um, I had to refresh my memory about p-values, but basically a smaller p value means that it's more significant so a p-value of 0.01 means there's essentially a a one percent chance that these results occurred um by chance versus being actual uh differences between the the two arms of the trial so the rough and ready idea is anything less than 0.05 could be considered significant that's the five nines or something um okay but What's the effect size? Is it clinically significant? And the other thing is, you know, how big was this study? What follow-on studies have been done? Um, how yeah, is it so looking it was, today? It was, it was 10 male cyclists. So it's a very, very small study. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it really did intrigue me that there was the, the Herald was quoting the lead researcher and registered nutritionist Lillian Morton is saying this is a fantastic result and that the study showed that there was this huge benefit. She should not be saying that. It probably (laughs) is a fantastic result for sales, I'd imagine. It it probably shifts a whole bunch more units. Yeah, yes, indeed. So my Um, other question then, the the other part that I was really interested in is I'm looking at their R story page at the moment, and they've mentioned this all over the place. But on their Our Story page, it says, um, we worked with a world-renowned neuroscientist, Professor Andrew Scully. And when I looked into his research and his background and how you know how many publications and, and how well-renowned is he in the world, what I was finding wasn't in accord with what they seem to be talking about this by this guy being world-renowned. Did you manage to look into that at all? I looked him up briefly, and I was kind of, it seemed a little suspicious that he was talking about leaving academia 
Um, and then he was shoulder tapped by this company to come and join them as their sort of chief scientist. So the questions I guess I would have is why why had he decided to leave academia? Is he trying to sort of cash in on on um, st- studies of ingredients that may have some promise? Yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, it would need it, some more investigation. It's it's kind of like that um, Italian scientist who somehow got hooked up with this whole um, with all those um, autism and cancer cure scams. You know, right. there, there's money. You know, and if you can yeah. sort of put your name behind, even for a little bit, behind like an immortality drug or a, anti, a cancer cure, you know, you can make some quick profit. And even if you're just doing nothing but rebranding the same thing over and over again. The website says he is a leading authority on the neurocognitive effects of nutrition, natural products, supplements, and food components. It it just sounds like maybe we'd know more about him or, you know, he would have been more famous in New Zealand if he was a world-leading neuroscientist and professor of human psychopharmacology. And it seems like, you know, if you've got a product that's doing something like this, I'd expect to be to see a whole team of people who were neuroscientists, not just one lone wolf who himself has figured out the special magical neuroberry that is providing all this benefit. It all looks suspiciously like marketing spin rather than real science. But, you know, if you look at his LinkedIn page, um, you know, he has a paper that's no effect of 12-week supplementation with one gram of DHA-rich or EPA-rich fish oil on cognitive function or mood in healthy young adults between the age of 18 and 35. And that was something he published back in 2012. I guess that's why he's not selling fish oil then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this company has been around for 10 years and they've been developing and refining their product, presumably, but they're still uh, trying to come up with uh, definitive tests that prove that it works where they've been selling the thing for however long. As always, that seems to be that they've, decided that their product works and started selling it before they actually proved that there's actually a benefit of it. I don't think they're handling the uh, the recent criticism well. If you look at their Our Science page, the, the title on there is Neuroscience, Not Pseudoscience. And I think um, Robin shared with you and I, Craig, a, a Twitter thread where one of the owners was basically trying to make it out as if this is tall poppy syndrome, that no, no, their research is fine and their product is amazing, but it's just because they're doing well that the Ministry of Primary Industries is trying to cut them down to size. Uh, And it's like, no, no, the MPI, I think, has a very clear remit as to when it can come after you. And it's not when you become big, it's when you lie to consumers. Yeah. Um, so I think, Roman, you uh, sent through links to their Instagram page and uh, they seem very defensive on there um, and they're claiming that they've had thousands of people say that it works for them. And uh, I think I mean, a, a thousands of people say will say, any, yeah, a anything, yeah, people will say, you know, thousands of people will say that any pseudoscience cure, any hoax works for them. Yeah. And the fact that they even think that this is an okay way of validating their product, saying people tell us that it works really well. It's like, well, do you even understand science? Do you understand why we need science and not anecdote? This is exactly why, because anecdotes will say whatever the hell you want, and science weeds out the nonsense from the stuff that really works. Uh, And of course, if you're paying $6 for a drink, you have a lot of expectation that, in fact, it's going to have an effect. And the ones where it doesn't have an effect, they probably keep quiet about the fact that they spent $6 for a 250 mil bottle. So uh, 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether whether this affects their sales. I hope so. I've been concerned about them for a while. I mean, as I said, especially the, the pushing of the University of Auckland stuff, like we see them every year at the Go Green Expo and University of Auckland logo is always prominently displayed. I think it's in their leaflets that they hand out as well about the testing that the University of Auckland's been doing. And as I said, how, you know, they, they claim that their product's been validated by university studies. And the more you look into it, like with a lot of these products, you, the more you realize it, it's just nonsense. It's just marketing fluff, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is just high-end marketing fluff. And I guess as long as the university is being paid, maybe they're okay looking the other way, or maybe they just never realized that these claims were being made. I have my suspicions again. Yes, but I guess uh, universities are short of funds and they really do have to take these funding from wherever they can get it. Yeah. As I said earlier, I mean, sadly, this is not even the only berry company that's doing this in this country, basically selling overpriced products and using universities to pretend like it does something when it doesn't. This this seems to be a common theme in this country. Maybe we grow a lot of berries and, you know, people just want to make higher margins out of them. Well, particularly if you can name it, the neuroberry sounds like it uh, sounds like it's a uh, a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, I, I must admit that that's a marketing win. I think that's it's evil, but it's clever. It would be pretty cool if we could produce some um, some placebo cans of uh, the stuff that sort of tasted and felt exactly like it and in fact that's what they did for the study um that i talked about they actually produced um a drink that didn't contain the supposedly active ingredient um for use as the placebo so i I guess that something in it is having some sort of effect physiologically um but whether or not it's something that actually helps your brain out who knows I'd like to see the numbers and I'd like to be intelligent enough to understand the numbers. But if you're telling me they tested this on 10 cyclists, I can't help but think that it doesn't matter what their test was. It seems very unlikely that out of that you could get statistical significance. Mm. And and I guess what they were doing was they were testing the performance of cyclists in polluted air. Um, and how does that translate into the average person every day drinking a can of um, of of a reaper and 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 then performing better at work? And it's, even then, did they control the for, for the pollution with these ten cyclists all side by side at exactly the same time? Because pollution levels go up and down, right? Well, no. What they did is they simulated poor quality air by doing this in a chamber with um, ozone injected into oh. it. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Well, that at least sounds a little bit scientific. That's a good start. Yes, I, I, I don't don't doubt that the study was done correctly and scientifically. Um, it all it all looks good from that perspective. Yeah, the results though may. But again, it's what is it measuring? It's, it's yes, not a typical you... performance uh, use of the product, unless they're just going to switch to uh, marketing their product to uh, elite athletes, which doesn't seem like yep. a very big market. But you need the two things, right? So you need the clinical significance and you need the statistical significance. And it sounds like in some measures, at least, they didn't get any statistical significance. And the clinical significance, well, if if you can't, you know, if, if they were saying, here's the difference in timings, but here are margins of error. I mean, I'm not sure you can get a clinical significance out of something where your margin of error is 
Mm. is big enough that it swamps your effect size of yeah. 20 seconds. I mean, the, the fact that they're calling it a brain drink, why are they doing studies that actually see whether your brain performs better? <laughs> that's that's another very good point. And probably that, I, I guess that might be a little bit easier to do, not having to set up this chamber with simulated smog. Um, mm. But again, maybe maybe it's a different department of the university that's more likely to do something a little bit more rigorously. Yeah, because the other berry products I've seen they they also test with athletes, and one of them particularly is marketed to pensioners. And their evidence is: look, we tested these seven athletes, and look how much faster they might have gone. Therefore, this will be good for you as an OAP. Right. <laughs> Which again is like nonsensical. It's like, well, hang on, what you're selling it for and what you tested it for are two very different things. Uh, I guess we should talk about the conference a little bit. It's not that far away now. Buy tickets. <laughs> yes. Well, we actually have sold a reasonable number of tickets now. I think it's going to be a good bunch of people. Yeah. Um, and I was just reminded the other day that I, I have to write a quiz for the Friday evening. So I'm I'm busy doing that. I'm trying to get chat GPT to help me out um but it turns out that when i get too specific like give me some hoaxes in new zealand that i can ask quiz questions about i'm getting specific enough that there isn't there isn't enough to write 10 questions so it's just making stuff up now gpt is lying to me and i have to basically fact check all its facts which is starting to be a bit of a problem but yes hopefully the uh, the quiz is going to be good i do really enjoy writing skeptical quizzes um and yeah i'm i'm coming up so far with some fun questions including maybe maybe one of the categories is going to be called psychics versus physics i don't know we'll see how we go <laughs> that sounds interesting but that'll be the Friday night, which is the 24th, and the conference runs from the 24th to the 26th in Dunedin. Indeed. Tickets at conference.skeptics.nz. Yes, you're on to it. Well, hey, clearly, this COVID that. thing hasn't hasn't affected your brain too badly. It's because I've been drinking a Reaper on the sly. <laughs> Maybe your Reaper is, it could be marketed as a cure for long COVID. I wonder uh, if they've already been doing it. We should really go through archive.org and see their history of claims. Well, it's very easy for these companies to, say, boost the immune system or supports your immune system, isn't it? Whatever mm -hmm. that means. Mm. So, Bronwyn, have we got other things happening around the country? Yes, we do. Uh, quite a few. So just starting off, we have Dunedin Skeptics in the Pub. That's happening this week. Um, they'll be meeting at their usual spot at Umbrellos Thursday, November 9th at 6 p.m. That's that's tomorrow. And uh, Auckland Skeptics in the Pub, if we hear this in time, it will be um, uh, tomorrow evening, uh, the 9th of November as well. And we will have a uh, special guest, um, Melanie Tresa King and her husband uh, coming to Skeptics in the Pub with us. I'm picking them up from the airport tomorrow morning. And do we know yet if Melanie is doing anything in Wellington? Uh, well, the expectation is that they're going to do Skeptics in the Pub Awesome. Uh, given that yes. I can't turn up to it anymore, somebody is going to have to organise that then, because I sadly am probably still infectious. So um, there's another Wellingtonian in this Zoom chat, isn't there? there is. Yes, but this, but, but this Wellingtonian is not the best at uh, organising or socialising or being a host. So it is a disaster waiting to happen. 
I, I, I can make a do... meetup event for it. If we're happy to run an event on Saturday evening where you can meet one of our speakers from America, Melanie and her husband, uh, before the conference in Wellington, I will put up on our meetup.com page an event for Saturday evening. Okay, I guess. Well, it could be it could be Sunday as well, couldn't it? Oh, what time are they leaving on Sunday? Or are they? Well, I booked them a hotel for two nights. Okay, well maybe we'll do Sunday. Could well be Sunday. Yeah, and you might not be infectious by then, Mark. I I will quite possibly be okay by Sunday. So, Bronwyn, what do you think to Sunday evening? Works for me, I suppose. Uh, If not, as long as no one's expecting me to write a newsletter article. I am expecting you to write a newsletter article and turn up on Sunday evening. Yes. Yeah. Sunday evening is many days away. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that many days away. So, yeah, come to the conference. Go to Skeptics in the pub. Have a fun time. Oh, and join the society. But yeah. don't do any Don't do any if you don't want to. We're not pressuring you. But if you go to skeptics.nz slash join, we'd love your money. Yeah. But we also do still have a couple of other events on the notice board that we should share. Uh, this, what is it? Um, It's going to be Thursday. Oh, wait, we probably won't have... um science-based healthcare activism in the pub i believe it might be happening tomorrow evening in wellington even though i won't be there dan's planning to still run it i believe everything's happening on the 9th of november yeah yeah so anyways if you haven't heard us heard this podcast before where is science-based healthcare activism in the pub being held there mark it's in the fork and brewer from 6 6 30 ish in wellington tomorrow night all right. Well, Thursday night, the 9th of November. And then Friday, November 10th, we do have Skeptics in Cyberspace. Uh, we will be posting the link on our Facebook page, as well as you can also sign up as a an RCP and get the link through the meetup page. And that'll start at this 6 This is an event I can turn up to and not infect anybody. It's yeah. great. And then our next Skeptics in the Pub will be the following Friday. Um, that Yeah, and that'll be Wellington on the 17th at our usual hideout in the lobby lounge inside the Inter- intercontinental hotel at 6 p.m. Skepticism all the time in Wellington, nonstop. November is definitely the month for it. Very good. All right. Well, you've been listening to the year in our podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can send us an email to podcast at skeptics.nz or hit us up on any of the social media channels or even give us a phone call. Who's phone you number know what our numbers are. <laughs> Not living out any numbers. You have to you have to d- divide them psychically or something. Uh, do a Google search. Mine will be up somewhere. It'll be easy to find. Very good. And I'd love to hear from you. All right. Until next time. Good night. See you later. Bye. Bye.